Let us pray. O Lord, your word is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So come and speak your living word to us today by the power of your spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we might receive with joy your living word for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The lectionary text from the Old Testament today is Psalm 16. I invite you now to listen for God's word to you. Protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the holy ones in the land, they are noble, in whom is all my delight. Those who choose another god multiply their sorrows. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names upon my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a goodly heritage. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I keep the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure. For you do not give me up to Sheol, to the pit, or let your faithful ones see the pit. You show me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And the New Testament lesson comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 11 through 14 and 19 through 25. I invite you once again to listen for God's word to you. Every priest stands day after day at his service, offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since then has been waiting until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
If today's sermon starts to feel somewhat like a pep talk, it's only because our scripture text from Hebrews itself functions in that sort of way. The book of Hebrews was written to a people who were struggling to persevere. False teachers were prowling, societal persecution was worsening, and the fledgling church was buckling and losing members. It was an anxious and uncertain time. Yet into this milieu, the unknown author of Hebrews issues a call to persevere in the midst of the time of trial. With the assurance that Christ had offered the perfect sacrifice once and for all, such that no one need worry about their guilt before God any longer, the book winds down with a series of exhortations to bond together and endure the present trials with unity and faith. It's a pep talk indeed. A series of three exhortations are found in the long single sentence that comprises verses 19 through 25. Let us approach God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That's the first. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. That's the second. And finally, the third is longer. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Endurance requires community. The key to perseverance, according to Hebrews, is simply to meet together. The more we get together, the happier we'll be, the author seems to say. Attention to the well-being of one another is especially crucial as a community endures a time of trial. When the church gathers together, we put ourselves in a position to encourage and inspire each other to love and good works. You see, there's a certain urgency to this text that's always reflected in good Christian theology. Discipleship cannot wait until tomorrow. Today is the day. Now is the time. And the reason for such urgency in our faith is that the future is unknown. We live in a strange, ambiguous in-between time. We live within the tension of the now and the not yet. We stand in between Christ's ascension into heaven and his coming again to finally set right everything he has already accomplished in his death and resurrection. And it's because of this strange era in which we live that we sometimes express our faith in paradoxical ways. A charismatic might say that the victory has been won, but the battle continues. A contemplative might say that we are in the process of becoming who we already are. A theologian might describe the kingdom of God as both fully present and yet coming in fullness. There's a tension uh, in living in between Christ's ascension into heaven and his second coming. The tension of living in the meantime. And the tension is that we don't know how much longer the meantime is going to last. And so throughout the history of the church, there have been these various periods in which the church has grown weary of waiting and tried to cloister and protect itself from a troubled world. Many strands of Christian thought have wandered off into escapism, 
believing that the mission of the church was not to transform the world, but to rescue people from the world and sneak them away into heaven in the nick of time. But this is not the call of the text in Hebrews. Though the difficulty of living in this world is clearly acknowledged, and though endurance is certainly required to live in this time of meanwhile, there is nonetheless a call to persevere by acting faithfully with love and good works in the world. There's a call to engage with siblings of faith, to meet together for the sake of the mission of faith. There's a call to act with urgency. The text says, all the more as you see the day approaching. That is, that eschatological day when God finally sets all things right. The trials throughout history have always been a call for the church to reestablish the urgency of our faith, such that we live faithfully until the day of Christ. So it was at the time that Hebrews was written, and so it is in our world today. We must live out our faith earnestly. Over the past two years now, our church and others have faced our own sort of trial on account of the pandemic. And throughout our society, we've been experiencing an inordinate amount of disorientation and uncertainty. The pandemic, of course, has cost millions of lives worldwide, and its ripple effects have been felt in every area of society, from our divisive politics to our economic disruptions to the sputtering adaptation of online learning and education. And now, even as we feel the thickness of the pandemic continuing to thin out, a call to persevere is timely and important for our own church in this day and time. Like the original recipients of Hebrews' exhortations, we need a good deal of encouragement today. And perhaps what we need to hear more than anything else is right here in today's text. Let us not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. This text is strong. It likens such neglect to abandonment. Let us not abandon each other, it might also read. Now, I may be preaching to the choir here because if you're hearing this sermon, it means you're doing as this text would have you do. You are not neglecting to meet together. Here we are today, gathered in the church, joining in online, meeting together. Yet there are still many who are not here, right? So the urgent task that lies before us as a congregation now is to bring them back together with us. This is our collective mission, and it's urgent. Today is the day. Now is the time. Please don't get me wrong. Throughout the pandemic, there have been good reasons not to meet together. Of course, it hasn't always been safe. And many of us have suffered screen fatigue, unable to muster the attention necessary to join digitally on Sunday morning after a week of staring into the abyss of our computer and tablet screens. Without the ability to sing and pass the plates and take communion from a common loaf, church has just not been the same. It's true. It's not as if we should feel at fault for not meeting together as regularly over the past couple years. It's certainly understandable. Still, though there have been good reasons to keep a distance from church, 
there is nevertheless a danger that the habit of not meeting together will remain after the pandemic. It's the habit of some to neglect to meet together, the author of Hebrews warns. And now is the time for us to be vigilant about the extent to which this habit has crept into our lives during the pandemic. Habits, of course, can be good or bad. We might develop a good habit of working out first thing in the morning or a bad habit of eating too much during the football game. We might get into the habit of watching the news during dinner or scrolling through social media during our lunch break. It's easy to underestimate just how habitual our lives really are. And so also we develop good or bad habits in our lives of faith. Spiritual disciplines, despite their fancy name, is really just good habits that become increasingly ingrained in us as we practice them over time. Prayer and the reading of scripture are best practiced at the same time and in the same way every day, such that they happen without a lot of effort or willpower, with minimal distraction. And the same is true of going to church on Sunday morning. It's as habitual as anything else. If it's not a given every week, it's easy to set it aside in the midst of everything else that we're doing in our busy lives. And now, as more and more of our weekly habits and routines come back into place, let us not neglect the habit of meeting together as a congregation. Let us not neglect our involvement in the life of the church on Sunday mornings or otherwise. So many good things happen when we just show up and let God go to work among us. And why is it so important to meet together as the church, according to the author of Hebrews? I love his answer. He says that when we meet together and encourage one another, we stir one another up to love and good works. The NRSV says we provoke one another to good works, but I like stir up. How's that for a reason to stay involved in church? So friends, I'd like to know this morning, what stirs you up? What provokes you to follow the Lord more faithfully in your everyday lives? What inspires you to deeper discipleship? What stirs you up? I can tell you that I was deeply moved by this congregation's response to the need of St. Demiana's Orthodox Church for a place to worship when their church tragically burned. Not one person has objected to their use of Kissling Hall until they get moved into their new church. And so many of you have gone out of your way to welcome them as they arrive on Sunday morning. When I see the way that this church opens its arms to those in need, I can tell you, I get stirred up. What stirs you up? I've been amazed at the care and devotion that this congregation extends to folks in times of crisis. Whether it's the deacons sending a meal or the Presbyterian women serving a memorial service reception or folks delivering the flowers from worship to people on Monday morning, when I see the way our congregation opens its arms to one another in care and concern, I can tell you, I get stirred up. What stirs you up? A couple weeks ago, I stood in this pulpit on a Thursday morning 
And this sanctuary was full of RPDS students and their families gathering for chapel. Some RPDS families attend this church, some attend other churches, and many are not yet members of any church. Yet here they were in our sanctuary. What an opportunity. And then on Monday, I stood in this pulpit again to introduce a sold-out concert featuring multiple choirs from our city. And I saw a few familiar faces, but most were not yet familiar. Yet here they were in our sanctuary. What an opportunity. And when I start to think about the myriad of opportunities we have to bless people we don't yet know, or when I think about just how many folks venture past our church every day in five points, or venture onto our campus for school or music or sports, and when I think about how privileged we are to offer them a glimpse of the hospitality and the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, I can tell you, I get stirred up. What stirs you up? Friends, are you feeling weary from the toll and the toil of this pandemic? Are you feeling lonely and isolated or exhausted from excessive worry? Do not neglect to meet together. Come find encouragement. Come and receive the love of your friends in Christ. Come get involved in acts of service to your neighbor. Come get stirred up. Now, maybe you've already been here each and every week. Maybe you're doing much more than just attend worship on Sundays. Maybe you're doing more than your fair share of work around here. The Lord bless you. Certainly, there's no shortage of people at this church who give of themselves in amazing ways. Thank you. Our leadership is steadfast, and our volunteers bring wonderful willingness and energy. If this is you, then the challenge of this text is not to be stirred up, because clearly you already have a great deal of passion for ministry. Instead, your challenge is to keep stirring others up. Stir the pot. Your challenge is to be the one who provokes others to the same love and good works you yourself are doing. Be a spiritual provocateur. Apply spiritual peer pressure. Bring others along with you. Encourage others to get involved. Empower others to step into leadership roles. Is there someone you can call this week and encourage to come back to church? Let's start there. One simple phone call to someone you haven't seen in a while to check on them and see how they're doing. You know, every year, of course, on New Year's Eve or as the new calendar year begins, we make New Year's resolutions to create new good habits in our lives. Next week is the final Sunday of the Christian year, Christ the King Sunday, and we'll celebrate with a wonderful hymn festival. And thereafter, the church New Year begins again on the first Sunday of Advent. So as the new church year begins, let's make a New Year's resolution of sorts to establish again, if we haven't already, the good habit of coming to worship and engaging in the life of this church. As the pandemic recedes, let us not neglect to meet with one another, as is the habit of some, but let us stir up one another to love and good works 
that we might encourage one another through this meantime era in which we live until the day the Lord at last returns. Alleluia, and may it be so. Thanks be to God. Amen.